Welcome to the Business of Beers podcast. This is the place where we help entrepreneurs expand their business, build their wealth, and generate passive income. I'm your host, Brian Beers, an entrepreneur who's on a mission to inspire growth from everyone around me. Remember that you need to take the actions others won't, and you can live the life that others don't. Please be sure to check out my weekly newsletter that now drops every Thursday. It includes one quote, one tweet, one podcast recommendation, plus some business and investing insight from me. It's short and it's sweet. My goal is to provide you with just a couple gold nuggets to help inspire your growth. Go to brianbeers.com to subscribe. Hello, everyone. I am very excited today to bring you Derek Kinney. He's an entrepreneur, a best-selling author, and a podcast host all around a powerful topic called good money. He is known for making complex financial topics easy to understand. Welcome to the show, Derek. Hey, Brian. Thank you. It's great to be with you today. Great. So can you give us an idea uh, to start kind of maybe your journey from 18 years old to kind of now, and then we'll dive into you know what you're currently working on? Yeah, a lot of days, I think maybe am I still 18? I think my brain may be locked in that uh, that youthful era. You know, it's interesting. We moved around a lot as a kid. So 18, I'm now in Arlington, Texas. We moved about six times before the sixth grade. But I'm, uh, you know, about to enter Sam Houston High School in Arlington. And I was teased a lot. I'll just be candid with you and your audience, Ron, about my nose. You know, my, my nose is, is probably on the higher end of the averages of most noses. And people let me know about it. I was teased mercilessly as a kid, as a teenager, and it really shaped me in the sense that it made me hold back. I was not the full version of myself that I wanted to be as much as a teenager can be. And my mom gives me this book one day. She senses my despair, and it's called Go For It by a woman named Judy Zarafa. And the book is called, uh, there's a chapter in the book, and it's called How to Be Popular. And I thought, man, I got nothing to lose here. I'm, I read this chapter, talks about how to look people in the eye, how to shake hands, how to be friends, how to ask questions, how to listen. And I begin to put this into practice, okay? And I begin to create a lot of new friends because I realized a lot of people were in the same boat as me, isolated, down on their luck, getting teased, not part of the in crowd, uh, not the popular gene pool. And I related to them. And so what it led to was my junior year in high school, and this was pivotal for me in my future business career, is I decided to run for student body president in my high school. Okay. okay. So I was a nobody. There's five other people running. And this idea comes to me, Brian, one day. And I recognized when I pulled back and looked at the high school, there were all these pockets of kids. There were the, the rock and roll crowd and the country western crowd and the athletic crowd and you know the band crowd. And they all just hung out by themselves and nobody interacted. So the idea I had was, what if I got a picture taken with me shaking hands with the leader of all these groups, and we put that poster board above where they hung out with a quote like, hey, let's rock the vote for Derek, or let's let's sprint to the polls and vote for Derek. Well, what happened was something extraordinary is I actually won the election that day. But, but I say I very humbly, it was actually all of us, because it's amazing when a bunch of nobodies have a heart of a somebody, what can happen? And now I'm approaching my 35-year class reunion coming up next month, which is kind of crazy. But the reason I share that story was it taught me something valuable and profound, yet simple about business. And that is, you don't have to be the smartest, don't have to be the wealthiest. You just have to make sure that people know that you care about them. 
that they are valuable in your world. And so as I began my financial planning practice, I was a 24-year-old punk, not a gray hair in my head, and thinking, who would invest money with me? And I just began to listen and articulate back to them what they said and provided solutions to them. If I didn't know the answer, I told them and I found the answer. And our practice grew simply because people felt heard and listened to and valued. And it's something I've taken with me the past several businesses that I've started. So simple, but for me, it's worked out really well because people connect with people who really care about them. Yeah, that's great. And especially these days, even more, I think having having that connection with people and, and hearing, I think people's attention spans or whatever it is, they're like in their own space. Um, and I think, you know, if someone really listens, it, you know, it shows, like you said, it shows you care and that, you know, you, you really want to help them or at least understand them. Yeah. And especially in the personal services business, I think that's where people really underestimate how individual people are. For example, I've been the president of our Rotary Club uh, a year or so ago. And these are, you know, relatively wealthy people. And you think, what do they need? You know, why do they, do they even care about if people miss a meeting or things like that? And I would, I would call them and say, hey, just so you know, our meeting wasn't as good because you weren't there. And Brian, guess what would happen like 95% of the time next week? They, they would show up. up. They'd show up because somebody missed them. They felt cared for. And there's this misnomer that if you want to work with the wealthy or people that have discretionary money, you got to be spending it. You got to be entertaining them, whining, dining. Man, I found even in my own practice, when people gave me referral, I might give them like a $25 gift card. It was like they won the lottery. It wasn't the dollar amount. It was just that somebody cared mm-hmm. and it was a novelty that, hey, this is cool. I got something for free and it kept them motivated to want to keep helping me. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a great tip. I, I have this um, it's this new website. It's called sendgiftcards.io. All right. so, you know, it's, it's this cool thing where you can then just shoot somebody an email with a, with a gift card link and then they could do, you know, you could send a Starbucks or, or they could like pick. You just send them a dollar amount and they pick. And so I've, uh, I've used it a number of times. It's, it's, it's a great way. And people have done it to me too. And I thought, wow, this is, this is cool. You know, I'm going to use that too. That's a great tip. Thank you just for, that. for you know, yeah. $10 here, a cup of coffee or whatever too. Yeah. Um, it's impactful. So awesome. So you start your uh, financial planning, personal service business, and then you, you, you grow that. How big does it become? What does it look like? Yeah. So I built it over 25 years and this was about year 10 to 15. I was really struggling with how much can I grow this thing organically? Just one by one referrals and so forth. And I began to realize I could only take it so far. To mm-hmm. scale it, I really needed to acquire other practices and then add my systems and processes to it to really supercharge it. So I bought a practice over in Dallas. And at the time, it actually doubled our size. And people really questioned me. They were like, Derek, are you sure you live in Arlington? It's an hour away in Dallas. Can you do this? And I thought, but I've always bet on myself. I've I've always liked to back myself against the wall and work myself out of the problem that I create for myself. Okay. I think that's what an entrepreneur strategy, is, yeah. is defined by, you know, a friend of mine once said, you know, Derek, I like to bite off more than I can chew. And then I chew like hell. And, and that's a philosophy I've always taken because when you need to, you can make things happen. But what happened in that acquisition was the people I bought it from violated their non-compete agreement. This mm-hmm. is where it became a really dark part of my life. Because I, I, you know, borrowed the money to do this thing. And here the business is being literally ripped away from me. Because when you think about it, just because a person sells their personal services business, 
the customers aren't automatically aligned with mm. the new buyer. They loved the previous owner because that was the relationship. So when these people came into the business again, those clients went back with them, not because they hated me. It's just because they loved their previous person. Mm. I had to physically move the office across the highway and distance myself from that location and that, you know what? I could file bankruptcy, which was an option. My wife and I talked about that, but she said, Derek, you've always worked your way out of hard things. You've got to do it again. And so that was the, the kick in the pants I needed. And so I just began to build and build and build. So bought three other practices, ended up doubling our size again. And what I learned was that I had to do the first deal, even though it went completely south, to give myself confidence and recognize I didn't die. I didn't lose a limb. I'm actually stronger than I was before, and it prepared me mentally and financially to do other deals. So this was two years ago, and I go on a sabbatical every year. I take about five days completely by myself, Brian, and I, and I think, I pray, I journal, ask myself three questions. How do I be a better husband? How do I be a better father? And how can I be a better business owner? And getting used to the silence, it takes a while, but it's just a time to just really work on the business and on me and not just be in it. And I figured, what is it to take one week out of the year to get focused on mm. what I want to run really fast at the other 51 weeks out of the year? You know what I'm saying? So this particular sabbatical, I was in Boston and I began to write a list of all the things I would enjoy doing. So I, I wrote down, write a book, launch a podcast, speak, coach, consult. And on that list, shockingly, was not being a financial advisor. That was a real eye-opener. It wasn't that I didn't enjoy it, but it just wasn't as satisfying or really challenging as it had been the past couple of years. And so I knew it's going to be time to sell pretty quick. So six months later, I sold that practice. I was a Forbes best in state top advisor recognized around the country. You know, so I say all that just to, to talk about a lot of people when they reach that level, they press autopilot and they press coast. And they maybe work one day a week, they're at the beach, they're at the pool, the team is doing the work for them. I just couldn't do that. I, I felt like there was more gas in my tank. Nowadays, because the gas prices is costing me a quite, quite a bit more, <laughs> but, but, I, but I realized I needed to do something different. So I didn't know what I was actually going to do. You know, people said to me, Derek, what are you doing? And, and some people really questioned my decision. One lady jokingly said, Derek, if you're going to have a midlife crisis, just buy a Corvette. It's a whole lot cheaper. You know, <laughs> yeah. So I've got I've got two questions. One is, so what did you learn from that first acquisition that you then applied to the future acquisitions that you did? Well, the first thing I learned was that the people who sign a legal document, that document is only as good and enforceable as the people who sign it. You see, in a personal services business, uh, Brian, if you and I went into a deal and I bought a business from you and you violated that. Well, the, the issues already occurred by the time I go to court and spend the money and this kind of stuff. So the bottom line is you're never going to recoup that back for the most part, that mm -hmm. that's gone. And so what I learned is be careful who you do business with and make sure that you are tightly aligned values wise. It doesn't mean you have to run the business the same way, but your belief structure, uh, how mm -hmm. you think about customers, how you think about each other. Uh, needs to be very, very tight. The other thing I recognized was that you can control a large pool of recurring revenue with a small amount of money. 
Okay. Now this business was generating about $2 million uh, per year. So it was a large amount of recurring revenue. I put down in that business about $200,000. And that was money I borrowed from somebody else. Okay. So I, I had none of my own money in the deal. And there was an example I listened to a guy named Earl Nightingale back in like the 50s. And he sure. talked about, probably know the name. He, he described like, you know, the big... Uh, these big mechanical uh, machines that dig the dirt and so forth. And there's a guy at the top controlling these with these little knobs yeah, yeah, yeah. and how powerful it is, you know, did that yep. analogy. Yep. And what I thought is that that $200,000 were like those little gears directing $2 million. And so, so many people think that, my gosh, a $2 million practice, where would I get $2 million? Well, the answer is you don't. You get a fraction of that, mm -hmm. and the rest of it you make up in the belief you have in yourself and the structure and the processes that you bring to the business, and that's how you can maximize that. So those are the two things that I learned. And so using other people's money in the other acquisitions continued to be the MO. They got what they wanted. I got what I wanted. And what I realized was clients, regardless of how much wealth, whether they had multi-millions or they had half a million dollars... They all wanted to be listened to and heard and felt important. I mean, ultimately, that defined for me a successful mm -hmm. personal services business. That's awesome. So then today, did you sell it, the business today, or have you transitioned it to somebody else? Yeah, I, I actually sold it. You know, I, one of the ideas that, that I had was, you know, I, I could have just kind of gone on autopilot myself and, and had other advisors run it. But I knew I needed to go all in. And so I sold it two years ago. And this was right before COVID. This was mm. January of 2020. Would have never guessed what was going to happen just three months later in March with all the shutdowns and so forth. Yeah. But, but what it did is it, it put pressure on me to invent and create something out of nothing very, very quickly. And so what I was faced with was, do I write the book or launch the podcast first? And I recognized if I write the book while there's so much crisis in the world right now, I'm taking my voice away from a conversation that I feel like I could be at, add meaningful impact to. So I launched the podcast. It wasn't pretty. As you know, I mean, when you launch a podcast, the first couple episodes, you go back and listen, you're like, oh my gosh, how yeah, do they even rush. allow me on the yeah, air? Yeah. You know, <laughs> but, but it, but allow me to refine things and those relationships yeah. from the podcast have led to new business opportunities now. So you just got to go in and again, connect with people. And, and, and one of the principles I'll share real quick that one of my guests, his name is Michael Hyatt, shared with me that everybody's favorite radio station is WIIFM. What's in it for me? And if you can always remember to play your uh, you know, business uh, advertising and, and appeals to that radio station, you will win because you're going to connect with not just the product you've got, but the problems your product helps mm -hmm. solve. Okay. Awesome. So let's dive into the book, uh, The Good Money Revolution, right? So what, what's it about? Yeah, so I, I wrote the book Good Money Revolution because it came out of how I built my business, you know, 25 years ago. So here I was, you know, 24 years old, this young guy asking who's going to invest money with me. But I had a passion for supporting education. You know, when I was in high school, I would have loved to have had successful entrepreneurs and business people talk about, hey, here's how the real world is. Here's why you're taking Spanish. Here's why you're taking economics mm -hmm. and make it relevant for me as a student. But nobody did. And so I wanted to do that 
for other people. So I began to recognize a teacher of the month and a student of the month at my local high school, my alma mater. I gave them each a $50 gift card, a certificate, and we took a picture. Back in the day, there was this thing called a newspaper that we would have pictures put in. And what happened about three months later was I began to get phone calls and people would say, hey, Derek, we know there's other advisors around, but we like your style. We, can we meet with you to talk about managing our money? So I remember vividly this one woman called and I find, I just kind of uh, let go. And I said, if you don't mind me asking, why did you call me out of all the advisors in town? And she said, Derek, it's because you care about what we care about. And she was a retired teacher, had a lump sum she wanted to roll over. And she saw the fact that my business was intertwined with supporting education. And so by working with me, she was helping be part of a bigger story and help make our local education system better. So that grew out of uh, where this book came from. And that was helping business owners not just make money, because we all like to make money, but it only gives you so much happiness. But when you're giving money, you know, that moment that you give or you're supporting an organization or a cause you care about, it motivates you to make more money. That's a powerful moment for a business owner when they recognize I can combine meaning with my money and a cause with my cash. And it's going to make more people want to work with me. And it's going to keep me more enthusiastic about doing it. So that's what the crux of the book is, that money is not bad. Because so many people criticize the wealthy today. They say, if you're successful, if you're a business owner, then you have to be bad. Or you're not good for the economy. Or you need to share everything that you've made. I mean, it's the worst argument the media can possibly make. And I say, no, money is not bad. Money is good, and we want more good people to have more of it. And that's what the book is all about, helping give them the tools to make more money right now to do more good in their local community. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. So what so what do you think are some of those mindsets that that hold people back then? You mentioned the one, which is that, you know, money is bad and that everybody who has money has like, you know, killed, stealed, and robbed or whatever for it. Right. Um, which isn't which is obviously isn't true. Um, so what what are some of the other ones that you you know, you kind of the, the myth busting uh, ones you walk through. Yeah, well, here's one I'll tell you that uh, blew my mind. I was in the office on a Saturday catching up a couple years ago and I saw my voicemail like blinking and I, I pressed it and a woman's frantic voice said, Derek, you've got to call me back right away. I got a letter in the mail that I wrote a check and it bounced. The money wasn't there to cover it. And now they're going to send me to jail. Well, I was like, what in the world are you talking about? So I quickly called her back. I knew this couldn't wait till Monday to call her back. And I said, what happened? She said, well, I accidentally, I wrote a check, didn't move money from savings to checking to cover it. And now they're going to send me to jail. I said, okay, we'll call the bank on Monday as a courtesy to you. We'll help you move the money. But why in the world do you say you're going to go to jail? So she begins to tell me, she's 55 years old, Brian. She tells me a story that when she was seven years old, she overheard her dad receive a call from a store manager. Her dad had also bounced a check accidentally buying school supplies for her and her siblings. And the store manager said, you bounce a check, I'm calling the cops and I'm going to send you to jail. So get this, as a seven-year-old girl, she held a belief from seven to age 55 that if you bounce a check, or more importantly, if you make a dumb financial move or a mistake, you're going to go to jail and get penalized for it. Wow. So that belief held her back. I, and, and what it did is it opened my eyes and actually her eyes as well 
to the fact that I would recommend investment ideas to her that made money for lots of other people, but she would always say, no, too risky. I'm not comfortable with that. Even in her job, she always felt like she wasn't achieving her full potential. So get this, six months later, she's gotten a promotion, she's making more money, and she's more diversified in her portfolio where it can grow more, all because she realized that was a bad money belief that she had held on to, not even consciously, hmm. but it held her back from becoming a version of herself. So why I share that is the biggest thing that bothers me, that really makes me angry is I meet so many young people, especially today, who have a ton of potential, but they've grown up in this environment where a mom or a dad or a grandparent may have banged their fist on the table and said, if only we had more money, then we could do the things we want to do. Or they say the thing that really grinds on me. And that is, you know, in life, there's the haves and the have nots. And we happen to be part of the have nots. And so they grow up with a mentality that money is for other people. Taking risk is for other people. Launching my own business, we would never do that. We just want to get the crumbs that are tossed off the table. And so when we can identify those beliefs, whatever age a person is, it can unleash in them just a power to say, look, you can go make more money in the current job you're in. You could launch a side hustle. You could launch your own business. And my book talks about all those ways of what are the bad money beliefs and how to counter them in your situation right now. But that's what's at stake right now, Brian. I feel like if mm. people don't recognize what's holding them back, then they may do their community and really the business community a disservice because the ideas they have could probably solve some pressing problems that we're facing right now. Yeah. I think the biggest challenge for people is they don't even realize they have those beliefs, right? It's just just what you believe. Like, you don't, you don't view it as like this negative thing, uh, whether it's a scarcity mindset or even an abundance mindset, right? It kind of, it is what it is. So yeah, I mean, it'd be great if you have some, some frameworks or some, some questioning, um, techniques that someone can kind of develop, uh, you know, to see where they're at. Well, and you were asking earlier, you know, Derek, why, you know, yours is a, a huge podcast all over the world. And, uh, you know, why I go on podcasts like yours is I want to help educate people. You know, like you said, people are so busy, they're not going to recognize their own bad money beliefs themselves. So I wrote this book, Good Money Revolution, to empower people and say, look, enough is enough. You know, whatever you've done so far is where you're at. But that expression of, if you do what you've always done, you'll get what you've always got. And so what I've got is a new way of thinking about money that I believe, especially right now with high inflation and rocky Wall Street and uncertain economic times, you've got to take control even in the job you're in or the business you may be running and say, look, how can I make more money? And a way to do that is to tie a cause that you believe in where people, we know they can buy products and services from anybody, but how you can decommoditize yourself and stand out is by tying a cause. And we know that people will actually spend more money to buy a product or service if it supports a cause they believe in. And so we know those things work together well. And I think right now it's a business owner's game plan for success. So going out and finding something you're passionate about and taking a percentage of the proceeds or whatever to, to donate. and But then also aligning in terms of, I guess, marketing and your brand positioning with that cause. That yeah, yeah. So two things. Uh, a gentleman named Dave came to my office a couple of years back. This was before I sold the practice. I could tell something was off. He was a local business owner. 
And I, I asked him a question. I said, Dave, is there a cause that you care deeply about? And the question I could tell really stunned him. He tells me a story about how when he and his family traveled overseas a couple years earlier, this village they went to, they, they were missing a schoolhouse. And, and the guide said, if they had education here in the school building, it would transform this entire community. And he remembered exchanging a glance with his wife as if to say, you know, wouldn't it be cool to fund that school? So my question brought this back. And I said, what if you set a sales goal that you're going to increase your sales by X percent and you're going to take half of that increase and fund the school with it? And we talked about some ways to do that and brainstormed and he left. Well, he comes back and not six months later, but three months later, he looks younger. He looks rejuvenated. He looks like he's a, a new guy. And I said, Dave, you look totally different. What's happening? He said, well, at first I was skeptical about what he said, but I had nothing to lose, he told me. And so he reached out to all of his customers and said, hey, going forward, and I call this in the book, the generosity purpose. He said, our generosity purpose is we're going to take a portion of all of our sales and put it to fund this school. We want you to be a part of it. You're going to get the great level of service you've come to expect, but now we want to do more. What happened was, and he didn't expect this, he was A, more motivated to go to the office every day, and his team got more motivated, catching the vision of what they were doing. But then his customers, they began to become his biggest fans. They began referring other people to him. They ended up buying more. You know, they needed it, but just, just because they felt like they were part of something bigger. Now, keep in mind, you know, this is a company that was very commoditized. People could buy the service from anybody. But because of the story that people were a part of, they wanted to be a part of that. So his sales, he was up almost 50% that next year. Oh, wow. And keep in mind, I mean, he, he's taking a large part of that to fund the school, which wasn't very expensive in a third world country. But he realized we're going to keep doing this because our customers love the fact that when they buy from us, they're helping make the world better. And so that's what I would tell business owners right now, especially as we emerge out of COVID, People are rethinking. I mean, that's why the great resignation is so powerful. They're asking, why am I working? I mean, what, what am I doing with my life? And I think people are asking themselves too, what, what products and services am I buying and why am I buying them? And are they helping make the world better or not? And here's a way for business owners to get in front of that and really blend those two together. That's awesome. That's that's unique and, and pretty cool. I have to check it out. Uh, where can listeners connect with with you? I know you have some uh, maybe a little giveaway you'd like to chat about. Yeah, yeah, Brian. So my new book, Good Money Revolution, it's actually become a national bestseller. I mean, the the message is resonating with business owners, which I'm very thankful for. But I want to give people a chance to get the first five chapters of the book completely for free. And they can go to goodmoneychapters.com. That's goodmoneychapters.com. Download the first five for free. If you like the book, buy it. If not, hey, you've got the first five for free. But I, I want to get this message into as many people's hands as possible because I know it can cause life change and help you live the life you've always wanted, especially as a business owner. You work so hard. I want that to count for something. You can also reach us on Instagram at Derek T. Kinney, where I post a daily uh, videos, 60-second uh, clips on how to make and save more money. And of course, also our Good Money podcast, which is a great compliment to Brian to the great work you're doing. Awesome. Cool. I appreciate you coming on today and, and sharing your story and all about the book. And I got you know a ton of good notes. I'm going to go download that book uh, today and, and start start reading it. I'm, I'm excited. So thanks again, and, and we'll be chatting. Sounds great. Thank you, Brian. Great to be with you today. Thanks, Derek. 
That's all we got for this episode with the Business with Beers podcast. One thing that would really help both us and other new potential listeners is to rate the show and leave a comment in iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you listen. Also make sure to link up with me on your preferred social media platforms, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. You can find all my links at brianbeers.com. Please just share the podcast with anyone who you think might enjoy it. And until next time, remember to take the actions others won't to live the life that others don't. 